You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Our impact is big, and it's bold. And the reason it's that way is because we believe what the Bible says about the next generation. Over 700 times in Scripture, it talks about generation or generations. God said, I will be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and three generations. Do you see that? And the blessing that I give you will be for you, your children, and your children's children. So last week, we asked you to think three. To think three. To to look forward to making a difference in those that are older than you, Paul and Timothy, and those that are younger than you, Paul and Timothy. Who's your Paul? Who pours into you? Who's your Timothy? By the way, when you invite someone to be a part of a journey with you, or maybe to meet together to do uh, devotions, or maybe you're going to go out and serve in the community and you invite someone to come serve with you, or maybe you're in children's ministry here and you invite someone to serve with you, don't assume they're no, that they're going to say no. You, you let them say no. Uh, sometimes people would say this, well, they're not going to they're not going to follow me anyway, so why invite them? Uh, don't assume that. Uh, I remember many, many years ago, I was pastoring in the San Fernando Valley, and uh, I was 20 minutes away from a church called the Church on the Way. And uh, some of you may have heard the name uh, Jack Hayford. Jack was the pastor there. Uh, he had 10,000 people. There were hardly any churches in America that had 10,000, but Jack had 10,000. Uh, I was running, at that time, 75 in church. I took the church with 31, and we now had 75. And boy, when we broke 100, first time in the history of that church to ever have more than 100 people there, I, I was ready to get a Mercedes-Benz and a Rolex because we hit the big time, you know. But I remember about 80 people in church, and I went to a luncheon of pastors, and here walked in Pastor Jack. And I thought, oh my goodness, he wrote Majesty, that old song, Worship His Majesty, and written a ton of books. He was on Christian TV. And, and uh, I, I said, uh, sir? And he goes, yes, you're, you're Bernie Fetterman. And I said, yeah. He goes, well, we met before. And he, he remembered a time that we met. I thought he forgot. And then he leaned in. He said, uh, my schedule is pretty busy, but I'd, I'd like to start having lunch with you. Uh, what? Really? I, I was about to ask him if he would help me. And there he was offering his help. A pastor in Beaverton, Oregon, named Ron Mel. Incredible guy. You wouldn't know him, though. Years ago, he actually preached here. and He had 5,000 people, and, and, and I wanted to learn what he knew. And I remember at a convention walking up to him and saying, uh, hey, Ron, is there any way we could call each other? It's a little, you know, it's a little, little far to go up to Beaverton. And, and, and so I would call and ask him questions. A young leader uh, named Roy Hicks Jr. used to fly his airplane from Los Angeles to Lompoc, and I would take him to lunch. And there I would pick his brain and ask him questions about everything, from organizing churches to budgets to, to investing in the next generation to, to how you, you craft a sermon. You see, we do not need to be afraid of asking someone to be our Paul. And we do not need to be afraid of looking at the next generation and saying, hey, would you like to be my Timothy? In Acts 20, verse 24, this, this series, we keep using this, this verse. But my life is worth nothing unless I, what? Use it. 
Use it. See, eventually your life's going to be done. I hope you all live to be 150. But, but someday you're going to take your last breath on this planet. I, I'm going to give you a secret. If you want to make a lasting legacy, then pour into the next generation. Do things that will live on after you're gone. Don't just be a generational spurt. You were here, you consumed, you sucked oxygen, and now you're gone. Come on. Find people that you could pour into. It's doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. It's not just saying, okay, I want people to be kind to me. Come on, let me feel the love, right? Kind? No, no. It's about you using your life to, to show God's wonderful kindness and love to other people. If you uh, have your notes, you'll get them out. We'll, we'll try to get through this and, and uh, let you get the, your notes all filled in. Uh, I say this a lot around here. When people don't get their notes filled in, they get nervous. and you know. uh, God's purpose is far greater than just one generation. Every graduating class of high school thinks they are the class. So my class, uh, by the way, any, anybody graduated in 2000s? Any 2000s people here? Good. 08, baby. Yeah. Best class ever, right? 08, yeah, yeah. Anybody in the 90s? Come on, you 90s people. Okay. 80s? Come on, 80s. The 80s. Now, how about the cool people in the 70s? Anybody? Yay! Yay! Before there were CDs, we had cassettes in the 70s. Huh? 60s? Come on, 60s? That was a cool time, 60s. Grease back hair, flathead engines. Come on. Come on. In the 60s, they were driving cars from the 30s. 32 Fords, 37s, Roadsters. Come on. 60s. Anybody 50s? 50s? Yeah. Anybody 40s? If you can raise your hand in your 40s, come on. From the 40s. Yeah. Anybody in the 20s? Come on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all think that we are the class. His name was Elmo. He had a handlebar mustache. He was our custodian. And we always went to Elmo. Matter of fact, in the yearbook, it says Elmo Azara. That was his name. And here's, here's what his epitaph was. He talked about the way things ought to be. He always did. So... We took the, there was a bench right outside the cafeteria next to the picnic tables. We'd have lunch there. And we, we, wrote, we wrote the class of, yeah, we wrote the class of, and, and we put our names on the bench. When we graduated, we said, Valerie Victoria said, there'll never be, never be, never be, a class, 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 like our class, class, class. We've accomplished things, things that no one else else will ever accomplish. The principal's sitting there, yeah, right, I've heard this speech before, right? He'd been a principal there like 25 years. And so, just right after graduation, a bunch of us went back to the school to like check it out, you know, because we were the class. And Elmo was there painting over our bench. <laughs> I said, Elmo, we were friends, man. Why would you dare destroy our bet? He goes, I do it every year, man. <laughs> Students come. <laughs> Students go, yeah. But you know what stands forever? The word of the Lord. 
You know what stands forever? Psalm 33:11. the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart, generation to generation. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. I, I wanted Christina and Allie and Gregory to be on this platform just to remind you. First of all, we're fortunate to have younger people in our church. Thank God for that. We're fortunate to have kids all around. Uh, and some weeks, our nurseries are bursting at the seams. That's good. And some women are coming to church bursting at the seams, you know. <laughs> That's good too, yeah. But your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be in something you do, but in someone you raise up. You know, I pastor more people than my mentor, Charles Baldwin, ever did. You know, in my ministry in 39 years, I've seen more people come to Christ than Charles Baldwin did in his 70 years of ministry. Oh, by the way, I, I'm not alone in this. Because under Charles Baldwin ministry, the best we can tell, he raised up 39 people. Not just for full-time ministry. Some of them sell insurance. But their whole agency is about Christ. I know one particular gentleman who, uh, who was mentored by Charles Baldwin, who was a CEO of a company, and he invests in children's sports. He himself is a volunteer coach. Doesn't have to be, doesn't need to be, but he wants to be. Because we learned from this old gray fox, we called him. He was about six foot six, and he had a, a size 14 and a half shoe. He always wore a French toed shoe. And he always wore a tie. I thought he wore a tie in the shower, too. I don't know. <laughs> but he saw something in me as a young man and asked Debbie and I, when we first got married, to come work with him in his church. He let me preach. He let me come to his board meetings. He let me learn from him. And on Sundays when we go to the hospitals to visit people, he said, here's how you do hospital visitation. He let me co-lead at funerals of people. I'd never done a funeral before. I was still in college. But he gave away ministry to me. As we said last week, young people need to be trusted. Your greatest contribution may not be in what you do, but in the people that you raise up. One generation, Psalm 145.4, will commend your work to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. So no doubt, over 700 times, that word generation or generation is used in the scripture because God's anointing is not for one per person. It is for one purpose. The anointing of God doesn't just rest with, with a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie, or a Jack Hayford, or even a Bernie Fetterman. It rests in the next generation and the generations to come. So last week, we, we talked about Paul, and he first meets Timothy when Paul's on his second missionary journey to what today would be modern-day modern Turkey. He's revisiting churches that he's planted from his first missionary journey. And when he comes to Lystra, he meets a young guy named Timothy. Now, some scholars believe he might be 18. Some say maybe 19. A couple other scholars say he probably wasn't any older than 17. And he sees something in him. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is like the, the dude. He writes the majority of the New Testament. He plants the first church in Europe. 
and he sees something in this teenager that was highly regarded by the believers in the region. This guy had a reputation, and it was a good one. Paul was impressed and invites Timothy. He invites Timothy. Let me say it again. He invites Timothy to go on missionary journey with him. And at what some people believe in his 20s, he gives him the baton to lead his favorite church, the church at Ephesus. That's big. To say to the next generation, we believe in you. We're cheering you on. I have to tell you, I just, uh, you guys will know this, this story, but uh, when I go to the football games, for both schools, by the way, uh, I always go on the field. I wait till all the hubbub is done, the media is done, and, and then I get to hug some of the sweaty players. I mean, they sweat. But I don't know if you knew that. They're out there. They sweat. And they, some of them stink. I'm sorry. And uh, I, I, I won't tell you who his name, but I got to hug a young guy the other night. And the next morning, when I went to go see my granddaughter uh, play soccer, I, I was praying for this young man. And I had this, this vision in my head of just putting my arms around him and saying, I'm so proud of you, man. I, I, I believe in you. See, is it that big of a deal? Go to a football game and cheer somebody on? It's not. Basketball, tiddlywinks, badminton. To go to the next generation. But by the way, I don't have any family that plays on that team. And I'm sitting in the stands. And some of them, I'm just telling you this, and I'm not bragging about myself, I'm bragging about you. Some of them go, hey, Pastor B's up there. And it means, it means something to them. Uh, we had several players, we have some right now, but we had several players in the last service that were here. And I thought, man, isn't that great? And uh, you, you saw me in the video. I didn't put my picture in there, but I was, I was hugging Toa Tawa up there. Uh, he's a cool guy. He was here in the last service. He was smiling at me playing the drums, you know. And, and I'm old enough to be his daddy, almost his grandpa. And uh, I sent him a text the other morning. I said, Toa, I'm praying for you. He said, I give all the glory to God, you know. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And, and it's not like, oh, let's brag, you know, that the Braves go here or the Conks go here or Gregory, CIF runner. He's a junior. He's going to get faster and come back next year. He's going to smoke those dudes. I mean, this guy, he runs like fast, faster than I ever did. And his mother's yelling at him, go, you know, isn't that cool? You know, and when I asked him to, to, to speak, he said, well, I'm a little nervous, but I will. And he comes up here and, you know. For me, you might go, okay, pastor, move on. Get the sermon done. But, but who can you pour into? Who can you make a difference in their life? Where's somebody around you where you can, number one, invite them to come along with you? In Acts 16, 1 to 3, Paul, Paul wants to take this young man on a journey with him. Paul looked in the eyes of Timothy and saw something. I'm going to encourage you. It's not even in your notes. But we need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see things in people that we wouldn't naturally see. Uh, Christina came up to me right down here and said, I, I, I want to get involved in your church. I said, okay. Now, if I made the hurdle 
so hard for her to get over, she would have found another church. She has gifts and talents. And, and then she says, I'm going to get into a small group and I'm going to go to the, to the women's uh, brunch and I'm going to go to the women's retreat and I'm going to connect. So I applaud her for making the effort to connect. But think about it. Here's a three-year teacher. She's in the room with teachers who've taught for 30 years. And not just mentoring on teaching skills and technique and lesson plans. But she's pouring into her. Christian women are pouring into her who love Jesus, who've taught successfully in our public school system. I just think that's exciting. So who can you invite along the way with you? Who can you invite? Who can you invest in? You can invite people to go have fun with you too. If you ride bikes or you run or or you, uh, you know, kayak, or, or you go bowling, or you maybe aren't that rigorous, you go to movies and sit there. Invite someone to go with you, to have fun with you. If you serve in our community, invite someone to serve with you. If you're going to mow Mrs. Smith's lawn because she's by herself and her grass is getting tall, invite somebody to go with you and mow the lawn. What do we hear from Allie? They want to be challenged. Give them a purpose. Something that makes a difference. And secondly, invite someone into a mentoring relationship. Invite them. When I was 14 years old, my youth pastor, Rick Gilmore, Rick, if you're watching, God bless you, man. He and, he and his wife, Debbie, sometimes tune in. And uh, they follow us on Facebook. Uh, he's the reason I'm in ministry today, him and Charles Baldwin. So if you don't like me, blame them. And if you think I'm any good, you could thank Charles Baldwin, who's with Jesus, and Rick Gilmore, who's very much alive. Rick used to pick me up from my house at 5.30 in the morning. I didn't even know God was awake at 5.30. <laughs> but Rick proved to me that God was awake at 5.30. He picked me up in his gremlin. Come on. In his gremlin. Before that, he had a high-performance Buick 455. And he had to sell it because he's a youth pastor. He didn't make very much money. And uh, he picked me up at 5.30, and he would take me to the basement of the Burbank Foursquare Church today called Media City Church. And in that basement, there was a guy named Charles Baldwin. Did you just hear that name? He was the pastor of the church. Later would be the mentor of Debbie and I. And so Charles, Charles Baldwin was teaching the book of Romans to a bunch of musicians. I'm a 14-year-old drummer, and all these guys were pro musicians. They played in Hollywood. They played on soundtracks. They, 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 they played backup for some of the, the, the biggest you know, stars, like Rod Stewart at the time. And, and uh, 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 <laughs> I hate to use his name, but what's new, Pussyka? Tom? Tom Jones. Yeah, some of you don't even know who that is. Don't worry, it's an old guy and he tries to be young. So these were musicians. I want to be a musician. Rick Gilmore saw the wisdom in bringing me to a Bible study with a bunch of musicians. I'm 14 years old and I'm learning the book of Romans. Just think about that. And then we go get a donut, usually a maple bar, and a hot chocolate or a coffee. And he would either take me home, depending on how long the study went, or he'd drop me off at school. And when he dropped me off at school, I would tell everybody, because they were looking at his gremlin, it was yellow. And, and, and I would tell everybody, that's, that's my youth pastor. 
oh, what do you guys do at youth group? And I'd invite my friends to. And later on at my middle school, I started a Bible club. That's still going today. Think about that. Why did I start it? Because Rick encouraged me. One of the first speakers at the Bible club, guess who it was? Rick Gilmore. He bought me two donuts that morning, you know. (laughs) Now, why do I take time to tell you my story? Because I am here because Rick showed up into my life. He showed up. Paul shows up, intersects Timothy's life. See, your best opportunity in your notes to influence someone else's life is to actually show up and invite them. Just show up. Go to a game. Just show up. Okay, Lord, what's, what's my mission and purpose? Just show up. Find a kid on your street. Find somebody on your street. Find somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your apartment complex, and just show up. Hey, when, when's your game? Just show up. Oh, you're doing, a, you're doing a play at school? You're in the drama? Show up. And after it's over and after they all sign autographs and everything, just go up to them and say, that was a great performance. I'm so glad I was here. And that deposit of affirmation and encouragement will go such a long way. It's not just about sports, and it's not just about drama, and it's not just about music. Find something in someone's life that's younger than you where you know you can add value. Your best opportunity to influence them is just to keep showing up. If, <coughs> excuse me. If you want to help the next generation win, <clears throat> yell at their sporting events, right? <laughs> You're such a good guy, Bill. Yeah, that was a test, by the way. I'm fine. I just want to see who would come forward. Here, I'll keep this here if anybody wants any. Um, If you want to help the next generation win, you have to change how you think about influence. See, when a kid is three years old, parents, you have lots of influence. If they say, no, you just pick them up and move them. Or you say things like this, I'm the mom, that's why, right? How come? Because I'm dad, right? But when they're 16, it's a little different, isn't it? You know? I remember one time, <coughs> Brian, my son, was 14, and we were having a little friendly debate. You ever have a friendly debate with your kid? Come on. If you're a parent, you understand. And so I said to him, Brian, do you understand that I'm the senior pastor of Lompoc Foursquare Church? But I'm the uh, alumni president for the Bible College, and I'm an honorary commander on the base. He looked at me like, who cares? <laughs> huh? You, you tell your kid, try this. <clears throat> I'm the foreman for our construction company. You will listen to me. I'm a commander on the base. You will listen to every word I say. <laughs> kid goes, yeah, right. You're my dad. I don't want to listen to you at all. You know? But, I, but I'll tell you what will we'll, we'll make influence better. Influence is earned, and it results in trust. And here's the word I'm going to use first, is the word consistency. Just keep showing up. Just show them that you care. Listen to what they have to say about their life. Ask them about their day. And somebody said to me once in a sermon I was preaching, I said, yeah, ask your kids how they're doing. You go, I do that. How was your day? All right. What'd you do today? Nothing. What'd you learn in school? Nothing. Want to share with me anything? Nope. 
Come back the next day. Parents, come back the next day. I still remember my, my, my son Brian when he was in middle school. I got that from him. He rode the bus today. How was it? All right. Bumpy. How was your class? All right. Second period. Don't like the teacher. Great. I, I met her. I knew why he didn't like her. And, <laughs> sorry. She, she had it out for Christians. Yep, she did. Actually, when I went to go see her once, she told me that very thing. I don't like Christians. I said, well, my son's a Christian. Jesus lives big in his heart. Exactly. So I thought, well, should I go to the school board over that? Nope, I'm just going to love her. We sent her candy, and apples, and didn't change her at all, but it was nice that we did a good thing, you know. But one day I walked into Brian's room. He was doing homework. And I said, how was your day? I knew what he was going to say. He goes, you really want to know? Yeah. Then sit on the end of the bed, he tells me. I think he was 14 or 15. And he told me all about his day. I thought, wow, I've been doing this for like 86 days in a row. I'm getting nothing. Consistency matters, folks. It does. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. If you want to make a difference, if you want to help the next gen win, you have to care enough to keep showing up. And if you want to help the next gen win, you have to change how you think about people who are different from you. Listen to their story. See, the key to influence is empathy, not just consistency, but empathy. Empathy. It's different. They're different than you. The next generation is different than you. They've never grown up in a time where there was an AIDS epidemic. Many of them have grown up in a time where terrorism is the headline. Not me. I didn't grow up with terrorism. We had the Watts riots when I was growing up. <clears throat> that was scary to me. That was it. We had no planes in the Twin Towers when I was growing up. I talked to about 10 or 12 high school students at post-game party and asked them what their biggest fear is. You ever ask them? Ask somebody that's under 18 what their biggest fear is. See what they'll say. Now, I could share you my answers, but they might not be the ones you get. One of the biggest fears, though, I did hear was terrorism. A couple of them talked about North Korea. They're very concerned. Some of them are afraid that Trump's going to turn the key. Blow people up. I'm just telling you. Don't, don't email me when you talk about Trump. Stick to the Bible. I'm just talking about culture, right? You know what another fear was? We're going to go spend time in college and there'll be no jobs for us. One boy, very astute, said, well, pastor, I, I just read that the unemployment rate is the lowest in 17 years. That means there's more jobs. But they're not good-paying jobs, Pastor. Many of them don't have benefits. I'm thinking about getting married and having kids. Kids are junior in high school. Think about getting married and having kids. I'm wondering if I'll find a job with benefits. I said, better go in the military. He says, yeah, but what's guaranteed? Will I have a career? He said, my, grandf my grandfather worked for a company for 30 years. That doesn't happen anymore, Pastor, does it? Another kid told me, I'm a military dependent. 
I've never lived any place more than three years at one time. I said, wow. He goes, yeah, and they want me to go to a four-year college. That's a long time, four years. <laughs> no, no, because I, I move every three years. I don't understand four years. You, you get that? So I'm, I'm letting him talk to me while he's eating pizza and there's cheese dripping down, you know, and everything else. I, I got to hear his story. Many of you know um, Stephen Covey. He tells a story about the day that his perspective was changed. He said, a life lesson occurred for me one Sunday morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly. Some were reading newspapers. Some lost in thought. Some resting their eyes were closed. It was calm. The subway rocking, but it was peaceful. And suddenly a man entered into the subway car. The children that he brought in with him were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me. He closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation of his kids. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's, people's newspapers and shaking them. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sat there oblivious to the actions of his kids. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he would be so insensitive to let his children rule the subway car and run wild about and not take responsibility for his kid. What kind of father was he? So finally, I cleared my throat and I said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to consciousness. And for the first time, he was aware of what was happening. And he said softly, oh, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. But we just came from the hospital where their mother died less than an hour ago. And I don't even know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle the fact that their mom is gone. Can you imagine, Covey says, what I felt in that moment? Suddenly I saw things differently. My perspective changed. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was now filled with this man's pain. Empathy overtook my soul. Compassion flowed freely from me. I looked in his eyes and I said, your wife just died, sir. I am so sorry. Can you tell me about it and what can I do to help? And in that moment, as this man told me his story, everything changed. You see, if you want to impact others older than you or younger than you, take time to hear the story that's running in the background of their minds and their souls. Take time to ask them how they're really doing. See, if you're a parent of a little kid, a three-year-old, it's hard for you to have empathy for them. But did you know and in any given time frame, that many of them have to walk between 40, 50, and 75 more steps than you just to keep up. <laughs> so when your three-year-old says, pick me up, they're not just being rude or lazy. They actually have been working harder than you. <laughs> or your teenagers. 92% of teenagers are online Every single day, 92%. 76% of all teenagers in America own smartphones 
not just flip phones, not just dial phones. They own smartphones. This is the most connected generation in history. Information is flying at them. Text messages are flying at them. Issues socially that are pulling them away, even from God, are flying at them at an alarming rate. Take time to listen to their story. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own, come on, interests. I've been praying this prayer lately. Lord, help me not be consumed with myself. Help me not be consumed with my own interests. Number three, set an example. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. Here's a question, and excuse me, I'm going to base it on what Allie said. She said to challenge you, so I'm going to challenge you. Is your life followable? Are you giving people something to follow in the way you live, in your attitude, in, in, in how you act? And what comes out of your mouth? Now, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, and if you're younger than me, you really have to get this. Don't let anyone, what? Look down on you because you are young. But set an example. This is a verse for everybody that's younger than me. Come on. You set an example for the believers in how you speak, what comes out of your mouth in their conduct, in your life, in love, in faith, and in purity. By the way, if you're a parent, this should be a verse that you get on the refrigerator, on your makeup table, on your workout bench. Come on. And this should be something that you pour into your your, your little ones. Hey, I want your life never to be looked down upon because there's stuff in you that I believe in. I don't want you to ever think you don't have the goods. Paul looks at Timothy and says, I want you to go out and preach the gospel. And matter of fact, I want you to go represent me when I can't travel and be somewhere because of this. He says, you you set your example uh, in in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If you're younger than me, if you're in high school, if you're in college, if you're in middle school, if you're watching online, listen, we have to tell our young people it's important how they talk. It's important that they don't just use... Profanity, because everyone else is using it. That's speech. The next thing is conduct. How you live, how you respond and react to life situations. That you would live in love, that you would live in faith. And here's the last one. I'm going to underscore this with a big capital P instead of a lowercase p. Purity. Purity. Read the statistics on how many young people are sexually active today. It will boggle your mind. And you say, well, back in the 60s, we... The back seat, you know, come on, come on, I I got you. But there are kids today bombarded with sexual imagery that we did not have in our day. It is everywhere. They take their clothes off and send texts to each other or themselves, and you know they call it sexting. It's it's very prevalent in our culture. And I'm telling young people, I mean, you know, I, I told a young boy the other day, he's 17, I said, listen, pray really hard. And then go take a really ice-cold shower a lot. (laughs) Pastor, that's not right. Well, listen, I was 17 once. I took a lot of cold showers. 
And sometimes I'd, I'd be on a date and I'd have to run for my life because I knew I was going to fall into the impure trap. All right, I'm moving on. Okay, got, got it. <laughs> you must lead yourself before you can lead anyone else. But lastly, we, 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 we pay it forward. We pay it forward. I love this last verse and then we'll, we'll be done. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, You then, my son, listen to what he says, my son of the faith. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to who? Reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Oh, by the way, this is not just think three. This is think four. Paul to Timothy to reliable people who will teach others. There's four. There's four generations in there. Listen, our legacy is so important. As a church, we will continue to raise up what is right. We will continue to make a difference. And in the last five seconds, I know you want to fill this last one in. The purpose of LFC is far greater than just one generation. Ask God what is your part in making a difference and investing in the next generation so that they can win. Kids ministries here, youth ministries here, great organizations in our community, uh, Little League, YFL football, ASO soccer that's going to happen uh, next fall again, who's desperate for coaches and leaders and referees. Groups out on the base, groups in town. Find a place where you can add value and make a difference. Teaching the next generation the things that you know and the things that you've learned, but more importantly, the God that you know. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.